you have your Bibles today, we're going to grab those and, and we're going to start maybe somewhere that's unexpected. It's not in the Gospels, but no, we're going to start over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And in fact, if they could throw, I was going to start in chapter 15 and I was going to start in verse 26, but I think I want to start in verse 25. And you know how I like to do that. On big Sundays, I love to throw monkey wrenches at all of our volunteers. As many things as I can change up, I'm just joking. That's not true. But I will tell you this. I have to take a moment, and I know this is all about Jesus, and it's all about resurrection, and we're celebrating Easter, but I'm just telling you that had it not been for a group of hardworking volunteers, I would not be standing here today. We would not be in here today. It wouldn't have sounded like that. Stello Church is a church that is fueled by the volunteerism of some of the most amazing people on the planet. So I give you honor and I say thank you. I know it's unto the Lord, but man, oh man, are we so, so blessed with the very best. This is what the Bible says. We'll start in verse 25. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Amen, somebody. For he hath put all things under his feet, but when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is expected, which did put all things under him. I don't know if you speak KJV, but I think you could pick up from that. All things are under his feet. And I know you're like, is he about to preach under his feet? Are we about to shout up in here? No, I am not. But that would be a great sermon title for another Sunday, wouldn't it? Today, for a few moments, I want to preach this. The greatest story ever told. Now, if you'll throw that up there, what you can see is there's a caveat. Because if you change one word or one letter in one word, it becomes the greatest story never told. What I believe for everybody in this room is that you have a story. And I believe that your story to Christ, to salvation, and what God is going to do in you is not just going to be told in this generation, but it very well could have implications on your children and your children's children. And your faith is going to build from generation to generation. And for your great-grandchildren, it just might be the greatest story ever told. I have a similar family lineage of one man who was willing to step out, at least on my father's side, from the religion or the experience that he was in. And because of that, I've seen generations of ministers, and I'm thankful for that. We tell my grandfather's story even to this day. For some of you, you might be that person in your family. Nobody else may be serving God. Maybe what you, even showing up here today, they'd say, you're crazy. I can't believe you're going to go down there and, and be a part of that church or that experience. Really? Is it, is it even relevant? I say to you today, if you will make the decision, this could be not the greatest story never told. But for you and your family, it could be the greatest story ever told. If you'll put your story in the hands of God, if you will allow him to work and to move, I'm just here to speak faith into somebody's life. He will take what is broken. He'll take alcoholism. He'll take drug addiction. He'll take a promiscuous life. He'll take sin and shame and pain and suicide and hurt and all of those things, and he will somehow turn it into redemption. Why? Because death is under his feet. 
because he has taken he has taken captive everything that shame induces and brings and he says it's under the subjection of my power and my authority today He's about to change somebody's story in this place. Come on, I feel the Holy Ghost. If you believe it, why don't you lift your voices and would you pray with me? Jesus, we speak in this room the greatest story ever told. In somebody's life, God, I declare in the name of Jesus, this is no ordinary day. This is no ordinary moment, but God, you are changing things by the power of your spirit. And the same spirit that raised Christ alive from the grave is lifting somebody up in this room. And so in the name of Jesus, I speak, God, let this be the first chapter of a brand new book that you are writing for somebody. Let this be the first moment, God, that somebody leaves the sin behind and they begin to watch new life unfold. I speak it in the name of Jesus. One more time, put your hands together. Give God praise. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. Thank you for your worship. The greatest story ever told. Now, some of you that are older than me are saying, really? That's what you're going to title your Easter message. Bad news, preacher. It's already been used. Because in 1965, there was an attempt that was made uh, to create a story, a movie, in fact, about the story of the life of Christ. And the title of that movie in 1965 was The Greatest Story Ever Told. Now, I'm going to give you the good news. This wasn't one of those cheap, like Christian cringe films. You know what I'm talking about? Come on, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Where it's like, I'm pretty sure I could have acted in this movie. Kind of had like just above an Easter play. Like, you know, like, but we support it anyway, you know what I'm saying? Because, man, good pure flicks, baby, let's do it, okay? Can't even trust Hallmark anymore, so you got to make sure that you support your local Christian movie company. It wasn't that. In 1965, it had a $20 million production budget. That's pretty intense. It even had the one and the only John Wayne in the movie. He wasn't Jesus. Maybe he was, I don't know. But I do know this. He got paid $250,000 to read two lines and be on set for what was the equivalent of a day. It's pretty good money, especially for 1965. But when you have a $20 million production budget, you can do a lot in 1965. Here's the bad news. The film only grossed $15 million and lost $5 million of its $20 million production value. I say all that to say this. My hopes are that this sermon does not go the exact same way <laughs> as that movie. I know it was a risk titling it that. Somebody messed something up in that movie. I have not seen it. Okay, I read the book, though. I did read the book, and the book's markedly better. That was a joke. That was a joke. It's, it was about the Bible. <laughs> here's, here's why I know that the greatest story ever told 
was in fact the worst movie ever made because you literally had the script in front of you. And, and listen, the last few weeks, not that you have to have been here the last few weeks to, to know where we're at, but we've been in a series where we've been talking about the life of Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, we've talked about Lazarus, we've talked about Palm Sunday where they, they said Hosanna, and there's been nothing, nothing boring about reading the life of Jesus Christ, even just the last few weeks of his life. If you chronicle where we have been the last few weeks and you go back in history and look at it, I think we would all agree that the life of Jesus Christ, the story, it certainly is the greatest story ever told. So somebody messed something up when they were talking about Jesus, when they wrote it in the script. Because when I see the life of Jesus, I get excited. And I say, man, that is an exciting story. In fact, when I think back uh, over the last few weeks of this sermon series, I get pumped up again when I think about that story of Lazarus, where Jesus looked at Martha and Mary, and he said, listen, I am the resurrection. I am life. And what we learned about Jesus in those moments was that he was interested in doing miracles specifically because he called Lazarus friend. And I like that about Jesus because when I look at his life, I look at somebody that I can trust. I was singing that song, I'm so glad I met Jesus. The fact of the matter is though, I didn't meet Jesus by happenstance. Jesus came to where I was and he started forming relationship with me. The Bible says that before I ever loved him, what happened? Christ first loved us. That's a good Savior right there. I'm thankful for that. That's, that's one reason I, I really think they messed something up. Because you ought to be able to get that right. That ought to be something you want to watch. Is someone who's loving and kind and pure in all of his ways. In fact, when you look at the miracle that he performed when he raised Lazarus from the grave, that ought to be something that excites us. Because what we learned a couple of weeks ago is that that was not a random miracle. No, that was a precursor to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he was prepping the ground, so to speak, so that people would realize that he was about to do something big. He was about to do something epic. It was about to be the greatest story ever told. But I'm also thankful that last week, can I just have a call back and we, we just remember what God did here one Sunday ago? We stood here and we prayed in this altar. We turned, we prayed over the chairs and the seats of this auditorium. Why? Because they called him Hosanna, which is to say he's a savior. He is saving the lost. Can I just remind someone in this room, the reason that it's the greatest story ever told is because, yes, he met us where we were, and yes, he is a friend, but ultimately, it's not that he's just present, it's not that he's just a friend, but I'm thankful that he actually has the power to save me from the brokenness and the shame and the pain and the sin. And can I just remind someone here today that no matter where you're at, no matter how broken you may feel, 
still, no matter how deep the addiction may be, he is still a savior. In fact, he's the only savior. He's the only one that will pick you up out of your brokenness. Anything outside of that is just behavioral correction. It's just self-discipline. But self-discipline alone will not get you to heaven. There's one thing that will get you to heaven. It is the mercy of Jesus Christ. It is the blood applied. That's why it's the greatest story ever told. He came to where we're at. He saved us from our sin. But can I just say, none of those things would have mattered. None of these things that we commemorate would be happening. None of them would have mattered at all if he would not have accepted his mission. You see, Jesus had a moment. You could call it the crossroads before the cross. It's a moment that's chronicled in the Gospels. And it's something that we see often, but I'm not sure that we've looked at close enough. If you'll go to Matthew, I'll read to you that moment in the garden where Jesus is praying. And the Bible says it was Passion Week. It's leading up to the cross, the moment where he would bear our sins. He's praying, and the scripture says he's praying in such a passionate way that he's literally sweating blood. Can you imagine this moment? Why? Why is it such a passionate moment for Jesus? Why is it a moment where there would be such a moving and a swelling of emotion, a welling up of of emotion in Christ? It is because not that he was afraid of the shame of the cross. Not because he was afraid that they would spit upon him. Not that he was afraid to bear the physical pain. But here's what you've got to understand. Jesus knew I am about to take on the sin of humanity. Now, you've got to stop and understand that there had been many that were crucified. Crucifixion was a, was a common Roman punishment. Yes, it was painful. Yes, it was excruciating. But Jesus was not referring in this moment to the physical pain. I don't believe that. But what I believe is that Jesus was referring To the cup of sin. Because the Bible says he who knew no sin literally embodied or became sin. And so what does he do? He looks up and he prays this prayer. He says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Now these are some of the most powerful words that you will ever hear in your life. Watch this. But nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou, as thou will. Not my will, but your will be done. You see, Jesus had a crossroads in the greatest story ever told, where he prayed, is it possible for me to go in a different direction? Is it possible for me not to have to walk down this path of pain? Is it possible for me to hear the call and the direction that I ought to go? But knowing that this is set before me and there's going to be brokenness and there's going to be pain down that path, is it possible that I avoid it and take some other route? And in that moment when he knew it wasn't possible, he prayed the words, Nevertheless, thy will, not my will, 
be done. You could call this, as far as story and script is concerned, the point of no return for Jesus Christ. You see, the point of no return, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, if you've ever flown over uh, the ocean to a different country or to a different place that required you to do so, there's a point in that, in that trip over the ocean, which is also, just let's just admit it, it's very terrifying all by itself. And you're flying over the ocean, and then uh, in, in some planes and some airlines, you will actually, they, I've even heard them announce it, folks, we have just crossed the point of no return, which sounds incredibly epic and terrifying. But all that means is we don't have enough fuel to turn back. The only path forward is progression, is moving on, is pressing toward what we're going towards, our destination. You see, this was a moment where there was a point of no return, where he said, I'll take the cup. I'll do what I've been called to do. And likewise, today, I believe that Jesus is bringing someone to the point of no return. I believe that there's people that if it's not today, it might be tomorrow, it might be in the coming weeks, where he's bringing you in and he's putting a call upon your life. In fact, I believe for some that are here today, and I celebrate with you, that it's only been the last few months that God has brought you back in, or maybe for the first time brought you in, and now your life is changing, your family's changing, you're making decisions that you never thought that you would make before, and essentially, even though it's going to cost you something, it's going to cost you comfort, it's going to cost you a change in your lifestyle, it's going to cause you to not talk the way that you used to talk or act the way that you used to act, but that got so old and that got so much and you'd been down that road so many times and it had left you broken so many times, you finally got to a point where you hit your point of no return and you said, okay, Jesus, no matter what it costs me, here's what I pray. Thy will be done, not my will. And somebody in this room, you are following a similar path of Jesus during that Passion Week where he would go to Golgotha and he would bleed and he would die. And right now, you hear the call of God upon your life and he's saying, follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. I'm telling you that you have an option. You have a choice. You see what makes us who we are. What makes us the people that we are, not angels, not animals, not some lower form. No, what makes us in so many ways like him is that he infused us with free will. And everybody in this room today, you hear me right now, you have a choice. I know we live in a culture of victimization. And I'm not saying that there's not stories in here of people who have been through trauma I'm not saying that you can't point to generational trauma. We talk about those things at Stello Church. We talk about the stories of individuals. We talk about how discipleship can lead you to true freedom. But can we just pause for a moment and tell you that all of the discipleship is predicated upon the bedrock of salvation. It's all there. You see, anything that we do here, anything, if it's going to be a gospel-driven, a Bible-believing church, it's got to be a church that always, always falls on the foundation of the Word of God. And can I just tell you that the Word of God says this, that before there's a bunch of discipleship or before we can change. In, in fact, let me just pause. The Bible says that I don't have the power to change anybody's heart. 
I can't preach it good enough. I can't be someone who can get up here and cause someone to be inspired enough to change their life to make it to heaven. The only way that anybody makes it to heaven is by the power of God's salvation, by the power of God's grace, by the mercy of God. That's the only way. So today... I know it's simple on this Easter Sunday, but can I just stop and go back to the gospel, the good news, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same way that he bled and died, the same way that he was buried, and the same way that he was raised to life again is the exact same way that you can be dead, buried, and alive again. So I don't, I don't know, how, how does that work? Well, let me just tell you, let me just nutshell it for you in Acts 2 and 38. The Bible says when they realized that they had, they had crucified Jesus, the Son of God, and they saw the power in that New Testament church, and Peter got up and he preached the message that convicted their heart. They asked the question, what shall we do then? What are we going to do now? We've made mistakes. We've, and you know what Peter didn't say to them? You ought to join Stello Steps on Monday night. You should, though. No. They wanted, what do we do right now? What do we do right now in this moment? And if you read the gospel accounts, what you can see is everything was leading to this message. And Peter looked at them and he preached it the same way that Jesus had told them over and over again. And he said, repent. Somebody say death. Repent of your sins. Turn away. Die out to the old man. Can I just tell you, I love the good news. The good news about what? Death. Oh, man, that's disappointing. I'm not done, though. It's only one-third. But it's a part of it. Death. Repent. Today, if you will ask God to forgive you, the Bible says that he is faithful. I, I, just, I get this image of a heavenly father who is just waiting for somebody. Let me just tell you, his mercy is not reluctant. He is not just, well, I guess I'll forgive. No, 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 no. There is a father who is perched over, and he is looking and waiting to see a prodigal coming down that road. And just like the prodigal in the New Testament, the Bible says that the father went out to meet him. He'll meet you. If you make one small step towards Jesus, he'll meet you. He'll run towards you. That's repentance. That's saying, God, I don't have the answers, but I know that you do. So wash me of my sin. Death. You got to repent. You die out to the old man. And then Peter said, But don't just repent today, right now. Be baptized in the name of Jesus, every one of you. Somebody say burial. Burial. There it is. Death, burial. It wasn't a baptism Sunday. It wasn't a baptism for membership. Oh, well, let me stop there. It was a baptism for membership. Say, membership of the local church? Nope. Membership of the body of Christ. Because throughout the New Testament, you know what it says of those that were baptized? They were baptized into one body. And when you see the word membership, it's always referring to the members of a body. So you want to be a part of this worldwide, this not just, not just of, an, uh, of a church age right now, but I'm talking about all the way back 2,000 years ago to that New Testament church, the same baptism that they were baptized with, you can be baptized with today. 
buried in baptism, in water by immersion, in the name of Jesus. It is powerful. It'll change your life. You see, when you go down in Jesus' name with the revelation that this is not just an ordinary act, but I am following in obedience the very words of Jesus Christ, you will come up, the scripture says, a brand new creation. This is, a, this is not about joining a local church. This is not about pleasing a family member. This is about you doing what God has called you to do. Death, burial. Now here's the exciting part that we've all been waiting on. You knew it was coming. Resurrection. And you shall be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. You say, you're right, I got a little chill down my spine, and man, that was so good. I like, mm-mm-mm-mm. That's my nudge neighbor say, he's talking about the real thing. Come on, I'm talking about the real thing. He said, now, now listen, listen, let me, let me stop for a second and say anything that you have done up to this point, no matter what it is, if it is even one inch walking towards Christ, if it was, if it was a visit to a church, you were just searching for him that, that teaches different, or we celebrate that. We don't, we do not, I, I want to be very careful, I, I, I joke and I tease, but I don't diminish anybody's walk in faith. Maybe this is the first time that you've heard that the Holy Ghost is for you. We do not diminish your experience up to this point, but what we do say is what if today God has the pen in his hand and he's saying it's about time for so and so to get the complete revelation of what I want to do with them in their life. I want to empower them and today at Stello Church it could be your day. It could be the first step into resurrection life because the Bible says that when you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you're not just baptized with water and burial, but the scripture says you are baptized with fire, Holy Ghost fire. And the scripture says that when that fire entered in, it was like a wind that rushed in. And they all begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, gave them the ability to do that. Can I just tell you, when you get the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's not a gift that Devin Akers can give you. It's not a gift that a denomination can give you. It's not a gift that any preacher or pope can give you. The only person who can give you the gift of the Spirit is the one who is the gift giver. The one who owns it. It's God. God's gift. It's the gift of the Spirit. Yes, that's the gospel. The death, the burial, the resurrection. How many knows that's some good news? That's some good news. Here's the thing. You have a choice. I have a choice today. I can walk away today and say, man, that was a sweet little Easter service. That little preacher did a good job. Preached somewhere recently, and uh, the pastor came to me. He said, bro, he said, we're going to have to have you back. I said, why? Now, really, why? Tell me why. I'm surprised. He said, no, we're going to have to have you back because brother and sister so-and-so, elders in our church, they text me, and they said, pastor, you need to have that little preacher back. He did a good job today. <laughs> so you can just enjoy this little service, little church, and this little preacher, and you can walk away at the point of no return and stay the same and say, well, that was real sweet and that was real nice. Or you can recognize that God uses what is seemingly ordinary to do the extraordinary. And that this is a moment in your story. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. This is a moment in your chapter. This is a moment where you are hitting the point of no return. And if you will say, God, not my will, but thy will be done. 
I've had a certain experience. I've done certain things, but I'm ready for something new. I want you to touch my life. I want you to fill me with your spirit. I want you to move me in the right direction. I say, God, I'm willing. Watch him. He will change everything. It can be the greatest story ever told. the slightest change of letters, the slightest change from ever to never. It's your choice. It's so consequential what we do with it. Will we listen? Will we do what you say? Well, I'm just not sure if it works that way. Do we really have the power of choice? Let me just tell you about a young man in the New Testament. The Bible calls him the rich young ruler. At least we do historically call him the rich young ruler. His his chapter, I believe it's Matthew chapter 27. I won't, I won't read it all. But the Bible says that one came to Jesus and he said, Good master, what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Tell me about the gospel. Come on, somebody showed up here today and you're wondering, What good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus looked at him and he offered this call. Now, this is not the call that is normative or upon everybody's life. But Jesus knew exactly what he needed And he offered him the greatest invitation that anyone could ever get. I believe that he was offering that young man the invitation to be a close disciple. I mean, his life was about to change. And that amazing invitation, that beautiful Jesus-esque sales pitch sounded like this. Go and sell all that you have. One more time, I'm sorry. Could you say that one more time? Go and sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and follow me. This young man was one who was powerful, who was religious, who had made his way up in the ranks to where he had plenty of money, everything that he needed. And Jesus looked at him and said, hey, I'm about to bring you to the point of no return, where you can either say, that hurts, but nevertheless, thy will, not my will, And you can live out the greatest story ever told. You can be a New Testament believer. You can be there whenever I initially pour out the Spirit. Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. And you can be a witness of all things. You can watch as I walk in my glorified body through walls and I show myself alive. You can be a part of the greatest story ever told. Or you can keep clinging to your money. And you can keep clinging to your reputation. And you can keep clinging to all the ego strokes that you get from all the religious people around you. And you can be a part of the greatest story never told. We don't even know his name. And you know, Jesus didn't walk, when that that young man, the Bible says he walked away sorrowfully. Jesus did not go, well, well, I just, another one, check him off the list. That's what I thought. There was no spite in the invitation of Jesus. There was no spite in his voice. In fact, the Bible says that he looked, he turned And he said, it's more difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. His disciples said, Lord, how can this be? How can you say this thing? And he stopped and he said, but nevertheless, all things are possible with God. So he can save anyone. But you may have walked in here today. And maybe you're listening online. Maybe right now you're listening to the podcast. And you have felt and heard the invitation of Christ in your life. 
But there's some things that are holding you back. There's some things that are weighing you down. I speak in the name of Jesus today that you will be a part of the greatest story ever told. Don't let those things weigh you down. Don't let those things stop you from getting to Jesus. His invitation is clear. His voice is speaking to you right now. That doesn't mean that you won't have anything. That doesn't mean that there won't be any earthly advantage. In fact, I've watched people accept Jesus. I've watched people begin to follow him and the opposite happen. They end up being people of affluence. They end up being people of wealth because God trusts them in that way. I don't know exactly what the details of your story look like, but here's what I do know is God's got it figured out. And if you will follow him, it will be the greatest story that you could ever live. It'll be a story where your children are blessed. It'll be a story where your grandchildren are saved. And let me just tell you, it'll be a story where you get to see him on the other side of glory. You're going to witness miracles I refuse to be a part of some mundane life. No, I want to see miracles. I want to see signs and wonders. I don't want to just be a religious person. I don't want to just have a happy, clappy church that gets together on Sunday and enjoys each other's company. No, I want to be a part of something powerful and miraculous. I want this. I want to be a part of the greatest story ever told right here in North Raleigh. Can I just tell you that God did not give Stello Church the power and the authority so that we could just stand in North Raleigh and do nothing with it. The Bible says that the Holy Ghost was poured out upon us so that we could become witnesses. Let me say it like this. We could become storytellers. We can tell people about what Jesus has done for us. We can tell them about the miracles. We can tell them about how he broke addiction off of our lives. Can I just speak to somebody? If he's putting your marriage back together, you ought to become a witness of what the power of the Spirit of God can do. I feel God's presence in this room right now. I don't want to be someone who misses it. I don't want to be someone who the story ends up being written a different way. Because of me. Because I wanted comfort. No, I want to follow suit. I want to follow that voice of Christ. I want to hear, as he said in that prayer, in that garden, but nevertheless, thy will, not my will. Thy will, not my will. The greatest story ever told. I tell you this afternoon as I'm rushing to a close here today. That there are many stories in our history, whether it be world history or American history or personal history, that had just a few details changed, it would have been a story that was never told. In fact, I think there's some of us that probably could recount some stories from some nights where the mercy of God kept us. And the only reason that we're still here today is because of the mighty, mighty hand of God. But from a wider perspective or a wider lens, I'll tell you about a story from 1776. Historian David McAuliffe from his book 1776 said this about what I'm going to read to you. Incredibly yet again, circumstances, fate, luck, providence, the hand of God, as would be said of so, so often, intervened. How many can say that about your own life? 
incredibly yet again, circumstances, fate, luck, providence, the hand of God, as it's said so often, intervened in my life. You see, in 1776, as you all already know, because I know just how intelligent this crowd is here today, there was a small war being fought here in what would eventually be known as the United States of America. But what most Americans are not aware of is just how precarious the situation was at the time of the American Continental Army during the Revolutionary War. You see, the future of our planet was changed forever by what transpired during these battles and during this war. And one of the greatest stories was almost never told. On August 27th, 1776, the British attacked U.S. armies on three, the U.S. Army on three fronts. Two fronts were direct, but the third one, which is the one I want to tell you about, was a force of about 10,000 men that went in and caught General George Washington's army off guard and outnumbered. Only a series of what we'll call fortuitous events saved the American Revolution. This is true history. First, a small group of 400 soldiers from Maryland were able to fight and save the army from defeat, a battle they should not have won. This allowed a larger group of Americans to retreat and avoid capture. Then, the British ordered men to stop the attack and dig trenches around the Continental Army. Expecting the American soldiers to surrender and expecting British ships to be able to sail around and cut off the Americans across the river to Manhattan. But guess what? Even though they expected all of this to happen, and everything seemed to be, and I really don't know why it is, but I feel like, feel like I could really rouse some British hate right now. I'm not going to do it, though. It's like something, I just like a united church, even if it's united around, like, just hate. So if you're British in here today, we're over it. It's fine. The British ships never made it. Why? It should have been an easy tactical move. It should have been a simple tactical move to make. Watch this. Because the wind stopped blowing. The wind was not enough to get them to that part of the river. And so their ships laid stagnant. So a battle that should have never been won was won by 400 men, or at least they staved off those so that people could be saved. The wind's not blowing when it always blows. And then what we found is that this gave George Washington time during the night to secretly get 9,000 men to safety and to keep his army intact. He ordered every available boat during the night to be taken and used to get his army across the river. So the British are waiting on this side of the river when the daybreak finally gets there to be able to blow away this last standing army of about nine or 10,000 men. Working through the rain and the darkness, the boats crossed the river multiple times right under the noses of the British to deliver soldiers across to the other side. The only problem was that the sun rose. And there still was a large part of the Continental Army that remained on the wrong side of the river. These men would likely have been killed or captured 
if they did not cross the river. Losses that the American army could not afford and would have effectively ended the revolution. However, somebody say however. A final fortune smiled down on the Americans from above. A heavy fog settled over the area. Oh yeah. And the rest of the Continental Army, even though day had already broken, was able to get from one side to the other. And what history tells us is that when the fog lifted, I just love this part. The British were on one side. They got their guns. This is how I imagine it. They got their guns ready. They're fired up. They got their dogs on leashes. And that it all lifts and there's fog. It just dissipates. No Americans. Why? Because we won a battle we shouldn't have won. The wind went and blow when the enemy needed it to blow. The fog came down when it was convenient for us. And can I just go back to the quote? Incredibly, yet again, circumstances, fate, luck, providence, the hand of God, as would be said so often, intervened. Sounds a lot like our story, doesn't it? We're winning battles we shouldn't win. Things seem to be on our side. You say, no, not mine. Oh, let me tell you something. If you're here, if you're even in this room, if you're even in this room today, I'm just telling you, there's some wind. It, it, it started blowing when it wasn't supposed to blow, or it stopped when it wasn't. Why? Because the providential hand of God said, I will make this the greatest story that has ever been told. I will put things in alignment. I will put things in their path. Even when they don't have the Holy Ghost, even when they are yet sinners, my love will begin to draw them and move on them and work in them. Can I just tell you the only reason that any of us are here today is because of the grace of God. It has drawn us in and today, just listen to me, your story is not over. God is still writing another chapter. He's still working and he's still moving. Why? Because he's gracious, because he's merciful. And the enemy that looks like he's going to destroy you, he will not. I prophesy in the name of Jesus, there will not be destruction. Your marriage is going to make it. Your family is going to be saved. Your health will be restored. And even if it does happen. What looks like the fire would completely burn up. Out of the ashes, you're going to rise again. Not by your power, but by the power of God's Spirit. Because the same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave is alive in you. Come on, stand to your feet. Put your hands together. And would you give God praise in this room right now? It is the providential hand of God on my life. I'm at the point of no return, and I make a decision today to say yes to your voice. Come on, that's it. Would you put your hands together, and would you say yes? Come on, put a yes on your lips right now. Yes, Jesus. Yes to your will. Yes to your voice. Yes. Yes. I say yes. I say yes. Why? Because the handwriting of God is on my life. I like what it says here. 
in the book of Colossians. The Bible says this, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. Let's just stop right there. That's what he's doing for somebody right now. He's blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that were against you. And he's saying, I know that history is supposed to go this way. I know history is supposed to render a loss to Bobby's life. But guess what? I got a good eraser right here. You know what? Forget eraser. I don't even need eraser. I'm going to blot it out. You ever blotted anything out? It's messy. He just says, man, I'll just, I'll just blot that out. I'll just fill that up. I'll just make sure it gets... What does he blot it out with? He blots it out with the blood of the Lamb. The Bible says that when we get there, says it in Revelation, says it in John, we see it in a couple of places, that there's going to be a book where our names are written. It also says that the accuser of the brethren, he's keeping a list. He's like Santa. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And guess what? Everybody's getting a lump of coal. Because we all sinned. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. And we've got a bookkeeper who's worse than any IRS agent you have ever seen. And that's saying something. It's the enemy who says, it's your word, God. It's your Old Testament word. It's your Ten Commandments that they've broken. I didn't write the law. You wrote the law, God. They broke it. TJ's the one who broke it. Sean's the one who broke it. Devin's the one who broke it. I'm just keeping the books. Don't be mad at me. It's just the bottom line. And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. And I'm not going to pretend like it didn't happen. But could you tell me how much it's going to cost? Yeah, what's that debt going to cost? What's it going to be? Well, I guess it would have to be the blood of an innocent that would take the place of the guilty. And he says, you know, if there's any way possible, let that cup pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. And so he walks the long road to a hill called Calvary. And he says, let the story read a little bit differently. And they stretched him wide and they hung him high. And he bled and he died. And his blood begins to drip down. But it doesn't just hit the ground and disappear. No, it hits the story of my life. And it begins to blot out ordinances that were written against me. And it says, yes, Devin sinned, but there's blood on his life. And you can see the image of an Old Testament priest sprinkling blood as God had told him to. And now you understand that it's all come full circle. Why? Because it's the greatest story ever told. And it didn't start 2,000 years ago. No, it started all the way back at the beginning of humanity when he looked and he knew, I will have to redeem them, but they're worth it to me. So let me rewrite the story so that it's the greatest story ever told. So what's our responsibility today? 
today. All we've got to do is accept and say yes to the invitation. Yes, there may be some uncomfortable moments. And yes, I may have to run from some sin. But I say, let the blood of Jesus blot out the shame. Let the blood of Jesus write over my story. I don't want to die a sinner. I want to die God knowing that I'm saved, knowing that I have a life beyond this life. And today, you can leave this place with new life. You can leave this place with peace, with joy, with hope, with restoration, saying yes. Rewrite my story today. I say let the blood of Jesus blot out any shame.